1: In 2022, I would love for you to join my Patreon group. I offer at least two bonus episodes a month and a monthly advanced read and pre-publication author chat. For those on Facebook, I host a special Patreon Facebook group where we all chat books. Thanks so much to those who already participate, and I hope you will consider joining us. For this month's behind-the-scenes episode, I am chatting with Heather Lazar, who is an independent editorial and publishing consultant. She specializes in editing adult fiction specifically, historical fiction, women's fiction, literary fiction, contemporary romance, mysteries, and thrillers. Heather worked at the Sandra Dykstra Literary Agency and both Random House and Simon & Schuster before starting her own business in 2013. She is the director and founder of the Northern California Writers' Retreat, a yearly fiction retreat in the Santa Cruz Mountains. Heather lives in California with her husband and two children. I hope you enjoy our conversation Welcome, Heather. How are you today?
0: I'm doing really well, Cindy. Thank you so much for having me.
1: I'm so glad you're here for my behind-the-scenes series, and we're going to be talking about editing today. Indeed. So you are an editorial and publishing consultant. Will you let me know what all that entails, please?
0: Absolutely. So what that means is authors, well, writers come to me, authors also come to me, right? Distinction between the two. You can be both. But if you're an author, you have published something. But I work with with writers, I work with agents, and I work with publishing houses, helping to get a manuscript exactly where it needs to be to hopefully move towards publication. So what that means is I'm a little different than an editor at a publishing house because I'm usually seeing the work a lot earlier than that editor. I could be hired by somebody directly who wants to work with me, I could be hired by their agent, and the book needs a little bit of extra work, or I could be hired by a publishing house that just has too much on their plate and needs a little extra editorial hand to bring the book through to the finishing line. And then the publishing side that I work on as a publishing consultant is I will work with writers who are maybe at that place where they're ready to find an agent, but they don't really know how to go about it. And they're sort of in that querying process, and they need a little bit of extra insight. Um, Maybe they need someone to help them look at the query. Maybe they need someone to help them look at their agent list. Or maybe it's an author who already has an agent and is unhappy and wants to figure out how do I switch? What do I do? So I sort of have a lot of big picture conversations um, from the publishing standpoint. And I wear a lot of different hats because I have worked at a literary agency. I've worked at Random House before it was Penguin Random House and I've worked at Simon and Schuster. And then I've had my own business for the past nine years. So I have an idea of a lot of different facets of the publishing world. So writers come to me for all kinds of reasons. And that is a very long description of what I do.
1: (laughs) No, that's actually a perfect description of what you do. And I have a lot of questions. So this is wonderful. Great. So I didn't realize on the editorial side that you had several different instances where you could get involved. Let's talk about all three of those. And is there one in particular that you do more than the others?
0: Absolutely. So for me, I frequently work with writers who are unagented, And they are looking for an agent. And so I'm not necessarily helping them find an agent right away, but I'm helping them bring their project to a place where I think it's going to be really great for agent eyes. That's probably the thing that I do the most often. Agents come to me frequently and are like, Oh, this project needs more help. What do you think? And I Maybe I'm the right fit for the project. Maybe I'm not. So I will do sort of consulting with agents to figure out, like, am I the right person? Or maybe I know someone who should be working on it. And then with publishing houses, usually like once or twice or three or I, it's so depends on the year, but I will be, I'll be working on something that already has a contract and is due to the publisher. And for whatever reason, the publisher needs an extra editorial hand. And I will help them get the book where it needs to be so that it's ready to go into copy editing at the publishing house. But yes, the thing that I do most frequently is work with individual writers who are hoping to get their book to that place so that they can be agented.
1: Do you have one of the three you enjoy the most or do you dislike them all?
0: I like them all. I think that what I love about working with a book that is already under contract is that I know it's going to be published. And there's something really special about that because it's like, okay, I know all of this effort that the author and I have put in. It means that at the end of the day, it is going to be bound up or, you know, put together digitally and people will be able to read it. I think that for writers in general, you're pushing towards something and it's really hard to see a finish line when you aren't under contract or no one is waiting for it from you. And so, I love working with writers at that point too because there's so much potential. But I do love working at that place where it's like, "Oh my gosh, once we finish this, it's going to be a book in like a year or 9 months, it's going to be published." And that's that's a pretty exciting thing to get to to do.
1: That is. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but that's a very good point because one of the things I've learned as I've been doing this and some of the other book-related things that I do, is that so many people are writing books and it is such an incredibly competitive industry. Yeah, exactly, exactly. On the publishing consultant side of it, that's another thing that I didn't really understand until I was doing more of this, is the whole querying part and how important what your query says and then targeting the correct agents, how many agents there are. The whole process is pretty complicated. So I would bet having someone to consult with would be hugely helpful.
0: I think it is. I think that for most writers, you actually don't know what you've written. You're like, it's this story. And it's about these two people, and they're in love. And then there's also this um, dog. But actually, there's a tree that they have in the backyard that's really important. And it's like, that is not a query letter. And it's not interesting. So what is this actually about? Right? Is it a love story? Is it a coming of age? So what I do is I look at the book collectively, and I say, okay, I know what it's about. And this is from years of synthesizing this kind of information from a publishing standpoint, right? So when I was at Random House, when I was at s it was so important to be able to come up with that, you know, one sentence elevator pitch, which writers are told that they should be able to do that. If they know and they are good at it, great. But it's really something that an agent and an editor are extremely versed at. And so what I want to do for the writers that I work with is synthesize their book into a very short little snippet so that it's immediately digestible for someone that they're talking to. And that's what the query letter really is because I've, I've helped people with queries in the past and it's so funny when I get something and I'm like, okay, you wrote a synopsis. And actually, that helps me because I can now help you write your query. And I think that there's information out there about how to do it. But no matter how many books you read, it's really, really hard to see the forest for the trees, um, which is an incredible book by Betsy Lerner about on writing. But it's also a really good phrase, because if you can't step back and look at the book as a whole, then it's really, really hard to synthesize it down into what a query needs to be. You just really wanna capture the attention of that agent. Why is your book different? And why do they wanna read it, right? And why are they the appropriate agent for this book? So that's the kind of thing that I will work with for my clients. It's the kind of thing that I work with on for clients of mine who I've already edited their books, so I'm really familiar with it. I, every once in a while i will work with someone whose book i haven't read and in that point i like to look at their synopsis and get a sense of what the book actually is and then i can help them through with the query but it's uh not easy to do on your own anyone who's been able to do it successfully bravo because it's not easy
1: well the other aspect of that is that you have a lot of knowledge regarding what is being accepted currently you've seen a lot of different query letters you can compare them you can understand what people are looking for. And I think as an individual author, they're not going to have that knowledge. I mean, I wouldn't have that knowledge if I'd written a book and understand, okay, what what is currently being sold? And what are they looking for? And what are they responding to? And I would just think that those types of things would be incredibly helpful.
0: Absolutely. And uh, we can get into this a little later, but I, I run um, the Northern California Writers Retreat. And at that retreat, I always have an agent there with me as a guest agent. And depending on whether we're doing it virtually or in person, hopefully in person in 2023, that's my plan. But I always have that person bring a few query letters, query letters that worked, and query letters that didn't, with names redacted, obviously, but this is a way of showing writers at the retreat, like, okay, this is what this book became right like here's from query to the fact that you know that this is a published book now or from query that just totally missed the mark and why did it miss the mark so it's a very hard thing when you're just sort of in the dark trying to do it on your own but when you see when you see ones that have been successful you kind of understand a little bit more what that secret
1: sauce is absolutely and that's wonderful and i can't wait to talk about your writers retreat in a little bit as well cuz i'm so interested Thank you. Let's back up a little bit, and you tell me how you got started as an editorial consultant. Sure.
0: So I graduated from UC San Diego. And while I was there, my my thesis professor at the time said, you know, you don't have to be an English teacher. And I thought, well, why not? Like, I have a literature degree. Why wouldn't I just go teach English? And he said, you know, you should talk to a friend of mine. Her name is Sandy Dykstra. And I knew the last name Dykstra because I had had a professor, Bram Dykstra, and I thought, oh, okay, like I, I did some research. It turns out that's his wife is this literary agent, and so I had an introduction through my professor, and I met Sandy. I wrote her this just ridiculous letter that was like, "Hello, I'd like to be an editor for you." I didn't understand what a literary <laughs> agent did. I just I. <laughs> she was so kind to actually talk to me. And I went in and I met her. And she said, well, I'll have to see what your grades were in my husband's class. And then I'll get back to you. And fortunately, I had done well, I, I think I had an A minus I had an a of some sort, I'm pretty sure it was a minus. So she got back to me, she said, Oh, Brahm said you did well. And uh, okay, come on in, I want you to I want you to intern for me. And so I was an unpaid, unpaid intern at the Sandra Dykstra Literary Agency for about five or six months before I went on full-time as Sandy's assistant. So that was fresh out of college. And I learned so much. Sandy is a, just a dynamite and a total force in the industry her probably most famous client is Amy Tan. Another famous client is Lisa C. She is just an incredible agent. And she now has a whole bunch of agents working for her. I loved working there. It was a real eye-opening experience and truly nothing like what it would have been to be an English teacher. And so it opened this whole industry to me that I didn't realize existed. and. In doing so, I also realized, okay, agenting is interesting, but I, the people that I want to be, I want to be an editor because we would communicate with these editors. And I thought, oh, wow, wouldn't it be fun to be on that end where you're just seeing like the very best stuff and trying to determine what's going to be published? Because obviously an agent is seeing wonderful things and um, submitting great manuscripts to publishing houses But then the publisher or the, the editor at the publishing house is then seeing all the very best of the best, um, from the agents. And so I thought, well, I want to be that. (laughs) I wanted, I want to do that job, but I don't know. I just didn't know how to do it. And I wasn't, I wasn't at that point in my life. And so I actually ended up moving to France for two years where I taught English and that was great but I also didn't feel like that was quite my path. And I kept thinking about getting back into publishing, but I didn't quite, I wasn't ready for that yet. I moved back in with my mom after I lived in France and I managed a women's clothing store for a year and saved up money and then moved to New York. And I moved there with my now husband, but boyfriend at the time, And my sister was living there, and my husband's brother was living there. So we had this sort of built-in family already, which was wonderful. And then I started applying for jobs. I I wanted to work in publishing. And when I looked on the Random House website, because I always had really good interactions with people from Random House, so I thought, I want to work there. And I noticed that there was an editorial assistant posting at the Crown Publishing Group. And so I called Sandy Dykstra and I said, do you know anyone there? And she said, yes, I know the publisher. I'm going to call him right now. And so it lined up very quickly for me that I had an inner, I had a call from HR that day and I had an interview the next day. And the interview was great. I met two amazing senior editors who I ended up working for and met everybody on the team and just really liked it. And. I remember coming back to the apartment and just saying, I want to work there. I really want to work there. And the next day they offered me the job. And I was there for five years and it was perfect. I really, really enjoyed working for the company and just working with book people. There's like nobody better than book people. Really, it really was just a magical time because we were all just hoping for the best for everything that we published. So it was also really, it was an exciting time politically as well. Uh, we published President Obama's The Audacity of Hope before he was president. And so as that book was gaining momentum, he was also gaining momentum in the polls. And it was exciting to see what a book can do politically for someone, for people to actually get to know A politician through
1: literature. Oh, I love that. That's so interesting. And I bet it was very exciting to be on that side of it at the time.
0: Yeah, it absolutely was. And, you know, we had a TV set up so we could watch the inauguration. It just, it was, it was exciting. We, we had a lot of momentum at, at that moment. And I just, it was a really fun place to work. After that, I, got a call from someone that I had formerly worked with who was looking for an editor at Simon & Schuster at the Touchstone imprint. And I felt like it was the right moment for me to make that jump. And so that's one thing about publishing is it's very hard to move up. And maybe this will change, which would be very nice. (laughs) But it's very hard to move up when you start somewhere. From editorial assistant, it's a slow slog to move up, 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 and you have to be extremely patient. And I was quite patient. I was um, the publishing manager and and an editor at Three Rivers Press, which basically meant that I was overseeing all of the trade paperback books that we published at Three Rivers, and that was a really huge job and a great opportunity. And I was learning a lot. But at the same time, I wanted to be a senior editor and I didn't know how much longer I could stay in that job without burning out and without a promotion. So I took this job at SNS, which was also an amazing place to work. Totally different environment, but also just so great. What I especially, I mean, I loved SNS working there in general. Again, book people. These are all book people, also great staff just amazing. Uh, but we were at Rockefeller Center. that's where the offices were.
1: Oh, that's awesome.
0: which is like the energy of being right there. I think some people would find it super annoying but coming from California to get to take the train in to the, I mean to take you know to take the subway from my apartment and then come out and be under Rockefeller Center and then just go up and swipe my badge and go into my building. It was just so cool. And the Today Show would be happening and we'd hear people screaming and we'd go to our boss's corner office and see if we could see any celebrities. And you know, it was just the energy of being there was really special.
1: The first thing that I thought about was the Today Show when you said that, being in that area and being able to just pop over and see what they were doing and then you know in the winter the ice skating there's just a lot of fun stuff in that area.
0: Working at SNS was was really a special experience and I met so many amazing people and of course I crossed paths with people that I had worked with at Random House. This just happens. Publishing is extremely small, so someone that you worked down the hall from is now your next door neighbor or another hall neighbor or a floor below you or whatever. So it was nice to just have people I already knew in the building and then just to make so many wonderful new friends.
1: You mentioned that in the editorial department, there's a lot of jumping around, but I feel like there's a lot of jumping around in all of the departments in publishing. Like publicists I know are constantly moving And it just seems that there is shifting. And then when the imprints are closing and new imprints are opening, there's changes that way too, that there just seems to be a lot of movement.
0: There is. And I can't imagine what it's like as an agent to have to keep track of that because you're constantly as an agent going, oh, okay, this editor is at this house and this is what they like to buy oh, wait, they moved to this other house. Oh, now they have a different mandate. Okay, now what, you know, it's, it's so much as an agent to have to follow as an editor, it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter as much to you. But yeah, there is a lot of job shifting. And I think so much of it, again, I hope that this changes, I am not in charge of whether this changes. But I hope that the publishing industry is able to look at itself and go, oh, we can better retain people if we pay them decently and promote them in a logical amount of time.
1: Absolutely. And I think that is a conversation that I agree completely needs to happen in the publishing industry. But it also looks like it needs to be happening in many other industries because that seems to be a very big topic after COVID and so many people leaving their jobs and you know pay issues and promotion issues. So yes, I think a lot of that sounds like it needs to be redone within the publishing world and elsewhere.
0: Absolutely.
1: I c- I couldn't agree more. <laughs> so then you were at Simon and Schuster and what happened after that?
0: So, while I was working at SNS, I got pregnant and my husband and I decided quickly after my son was born that we were not going to stay in New York. So, we just couldn't figure out how to make it work and we missed our family and being close to our family. We we're both from California. And we actually both, we grew up about 15 minutes away from each other, though we met at a bar in San Diego. So we moved home when my son was three months old and that was in 2013. And we moved back to California. We moved to Pacific Grove specifically. Before I left SNS, I did a lot of I had a lot of phone calls with friends who had left the publishing industry or not, not the full industry, but had left one of the big five houses and were doing it on their own. So lots of friends who were freelance editing, and I just had lots of conversations where I was like, okay, what does your life look like? And what's the money look like? And okay. And it became clear to me that I could absolutely do it on my own. And so that's what I did. I got to ease into it. You know, I was still caring, obviously, for an infant when we moved out here. And I spent time, obviously, with him, but then also starting my business. And so when he was about a year was when I really launched full force. But I was taking on projects kind of here and there and attempting to work in his naps schedule. I it was, it was kind of a mess that first year, to be <laughs> honest. I was really happy. I am really happy with what I'm doing because it's allowed me to have a family, to make my own hours, to be on a podcast at nine in the morning on a Wednesday and nobody else needs me for anything. It's really been life-changing because as much as I loved working for those big houses, it was a lot. There were not times where I wasn't working. I mean, weekends on the subway, on the way home, like I was reading all the time and I was reading things that maybe were going to be published, maybe weren't going to be published. I was constantly trying to decide whether I wanted to acquire them. And now, like, I get to read bound books for fun all the time. I get to take on the projects that I want to take on. I get to work with writers who I want to work with and individually, I get to edit pieces, either from an early stage or from a late stage and really get them exactly where they need to be. And my focus is not on a 100 other things. Because I don't have to go to a jacket meeting. I don't have to write catalog copy, I don't have to write flap copy, I don't have to look at the third pass of the jacket. And oh, and something spelled wrong. And how did we miss that? And there's just so many things that take your attention away from the work. When you're at a publishing house. And now all I have to do is the work, right? The manuscript is what matters to me the most. And I love that because that's where I think I excel the most. There's other people that are great at all of the things. But for me, this is where my passion is. And this is why I wanted to do this in the first place. So I love that I get to really dig in and and focus on the manuscript.
1: And setting your own schedule. I mean, to me, that's what I love so much about what I do is that I can work around the other things that I need to work around. I don't have to be sitting at a desk nine to five or showing my face at different times. I just need to get my stuff done when I can get it done.
0: Mm-hmm, exactly.
1: Well, what makes a good editor, do you think?
0: Okay, so a good editor is a diplomat that can serve a very delicious compliment sandwich. Um, and what I mean by that is that an editor has to, sort of walk the line of telling great news well and telling bad news also well. Because if your book is with me, I am never gonna come back and say it's perfect because what would be the point, right? It's a waste of your money and it's a waste of my time. I wanna help you make it as great as possible. So the job of the editor is to find all of the things that are working and improve them. And to find all the things that are not working and figure out ways to improve them. Now, frequently, I will have suggestions on how to improve things. But also frequently, a writer already knows what to do. So my job is to be in there just saying, well, how about this? And if you don't like that, I'm sure you have another idea. So those are some things I think make a great editor. Also, just time and practice I learned, this is really an apprenticeship. And I learned how to do what I do, because the, the executive editor I worked for, would edit on paper, and then give me those 350 pages, and I would input all of her changes into track changes, and then email the manuscript to the writer. So I learned by looking at exactly what she was doing. And that I think made me quite skilled in understanding what could be cut and then how to deliver proper feedback. Uh, I also went to, I, I took a course at NYU on book editing while I was an editorial assistant because I really wanted to learn more and improve because you learn at the pen of your senior editor when you're at a publishing house, but then you also make decisions on your own. I guess my point is what makes it what makes a great editor is someone who knows how to be diplomatic, but that also has had the practice. And I get better every year. And I've been doing this for, I guess, a long time at this point. But I think that if I looked at something I edited 15 years ago, I would edit it differently today. But that's just that that's experience, I guess.
1: Absolutely. And I think also time. I mean, I agree completely on the experience. The longer you do something, the better you get at it. But also things change a little bit too. So what you edited 15 years ago, you might edit a little differently anyway, just based on the passing of 15 years. Exactly. What do you do when an author is not responsive to your suggestions?
0: Okay. So I don't mean to brag, but that doesn't happen.
1: (laughs) Well, that's great.
0: Okay, so that so I think that being on the receiving end of what I have to say, I think writers sometimes are just taking it in, right? So I can't always know whether they're going to say yes or no to something. Because when I work on a manuscript, and then I have an editorial conversation with the writer, it's always a conversation, right? Like, it's never me just telling them what they need to do. It's all about, here's some thoughts that I have. What were you thinking here? How do we, you know, make this character a little bit more likable? What about this idea? And it's definitely happened where I've had a writer say, Oh, I don't like that, or I don't want this. And then frequently I'll have people come back to me three weeks later and say, you know what? You were right. And I (laughs) feel very vindicated, but I'm not always right. And I, and I'm, I'm totally willing to be wrong. I don't, this is not an ego thing for me. My goal always is to make it the best book possible. And so I believe that what I'm suggesting are the best suggestions that I can come up with, but that doesn't mean that they're definitive.
1: Well, one of the things I was so curious about was how you decide what you're going to edit. I'm assuming you get pitched right and left. How do you decide what you say yes to and what you say no to? Great
0: question. So yes, I do. Writers contact me through my email all the time. And they say, Hi, I'm working on this book, or I have this finished manuscript, or, you know, so and so who you worked with in the past suggested I reach out to you. And that's always very helpful, because that is a direct referral. And I, I love those, because it makes it easy to say, Oh, okay, this person knows this person. And, but that's, that's not the only way you can work with me, obviously. So I ask for the first 20 pages. I should be clear. I only work on fiction. I work on women's fiction, thrillers, mysteries, contemporary romance, historical fiction. Uh, I'll do some light sci-fi, um, but nothing too meaty. I will read the first twenty pages of anything that comes to me if it's if it's appropriate for me, and then if I if it's a good fit, if it's something that I think this is something I really want to work on, and what that means is. It is engaging. I really like the voice and I'm interested to see where the story goes. If those things are all boxes I can tick in the first 20 pages, then I will want to reach out to that writer and say, hey, can we have a phone call? I always want to talk to people first because I think that's really, really valuable. Just a conversation can go so far. And if we get on the phone and we're a good fit on the phone, then I think we'll be a good fit on the page as well. And that allows the writer to ask me any questions that they might have about my process, but also I can be clear about what they want out of it. For example, if a writer says, look, I've been working on this book for 15 years. I'm so tired. I just want to get it over the finish line and I want to self-publish it. Okay, I can kind of help them with a lot of those aspects. If a writer says, I love this book. Again, I've been working on it for 15 years and I want a agent and I want a publishing deal. I'm never going to be able to guarantee either of those things, but I can also sort of talk expectation wise about whether that is achievable or not. And then we go from there. So I like to be really clear about where their expectations are and then what I can provide for them. And then once we've had that conversation, I'll send a contract and get them into my queue. So I'll put them somewhere on my calendar. We'll determine uh, what that will look like. I usually book about four or five months out. It just depends on the time of year. And sometimes I'll have a project that needs more time and then I'll have an opening and it just depends. But that is how I determine who I'm going to work with and what what projects I'm going to take on.
1: And most writers that are contacting you They have a full manuscript?
0: For the most part, uh, to be honest, I can't, I don't want to work on something that's, yeah, something that's unfinished. I don't think I'm that helpful. I really believe that writers should get the most free help possible before contacting an editor. And there's definitely writers out there who want to work with a book coach who can help them from the very moment of conception and you know, really be that person can, they can be accountable to that person. I'm not that person. But there are editors that do that. I want to see your book in the best shape possible. So I want to see it when at least two people have read it, and not your mom and your sister, not people that you're going to sit at Thanksgiving dinner with, I want people who are going to be brutally honest with you. And perhaps those are your Thanksgiving relatives. I don't know. But I want people that are going to be really honest with you and are potentially also writers. And there are lots of writing communities out there. Again, just pitching my retreat, this is one of the big things that we push for is having bringing writers together and creating connections so that people kind of have their own writing group uh, after leaving the retreat. And It's so helpful to you as a writer to work with other writers. Not all their feedback is going to be perfect all the time, but if you have someone who is willing to read your whole book and then you're willing to read their whole book, suddenly you have free help. Suddenly you aren't out thousands of dollars and you have made further progress on your work. So that's what I mean. Like get all of the free help that you can before you engage an editor because If I'm working on a book that you've already had a significant amount of feedback on, then that means that I'm potentially working on something that is really at a high level. And I can give you the best kind of feedback from that. If it's kind of a jumble, and there's still a lot going on, and there's repetition, and there's chapters that are overlapping, I can tell you all of that, and I can help you. But you will have a much richer experience if you have refined all of that before I'm before I'm getting it. And other writers will help you do that.
1: That makes perfect sense and is great advice. It's such a long process. It's just something I definitely did not realize until I started doing all of this. And it makes sense, but there are just so many steps and so many places that things can go awry. So it's interesting to sort of start at the beginning and, and listen to how you work. Thank you. Well, what is the favorite part of your job? And what is the least favorite part of your job?
0: (laughs) So my favorite part is that I get to read stories all day. And it's funny because when I started in this literary life, my mom, she would say, oh, you just get to read all day. And I was like, no, mom, like, I have to look at the book jackets and I'm reading the catalog copy and I have to write this and I'm in this marketing meeting and I'm not even really sure what I'm doing there. I was like, you don't understand. I'm not reading all day. And that was when I was an agent uh, when I was working at an agency and when I was at a publishing house. Now I really do get to read all day. So my mom's, it's like she put it into the universe 20 years ago. So yes, now I do get to read all day. And that is my favorite part of the job. Absolutely. My least favorite part of the job is that it can be slightly isolating. I think that this is where the writers and I really connect, because I'm alone with it at my computer all day, just like they are. And so I fortunately have a group of other editors that have all worked at big publishing houses. And we've got a Google group And there's just great emails exchanged throughout the weeks between all of us. And they normally will have an editor's meetup, but it's in New York, which is not happening for me. But these are all people that are also doing what I'm doing. And all of us feel the same thing. And so that group is very much like, hey, I have this project, I can't take it on anybody want it or hey, want to anybody have an idea about, you know, for a comparison title for this book. It's also like, hey, I'm feeling kind of lonely as anyone else, you know, I mean, there, there's a lot of honesty. So I have that as far as connection. But that is something that I miss. I miss the collegiate experience of being in a office where somebody can just pop in and have a conversation with me. And the funny thing is, when I was in an office, and that would happen, it would kind of make me crazy. Because I was like, <laughs> I'm trying to focus, you know, And now I'm like, oh, sure, it would be fun if like someone came in and wanted to like chat about celebrity gossip, you know, that's the hard part. But that that really isn't a hard part, really, like, I'm just, I cannot believe that I get to do what I get to do. I'm so grateful.
1: And I do think when you're passionate about your job, it shines through and it makes you do an even better job than you normally would because you love what you're doing. I agree with that now let's get to the Northern California Writers Retreat, because I can't wait to hear all about it.
0: Sure. So this is a retreat that I started with my business partner, Chelsea Lindman, in 2016. And she and I parted ways in 2019. Um, she actually went from being a literary agent to being a real estate agent. And so when she made that change, we were like, you know what? This is like such a literary endeavor. It's probably... Not where her focus is going to be anymore. And, and so she stepped aside, but it was really, I, I bring her up because it wouldn't exist without her. We really both decided on the idea and created it together. So it is a <laughs> retreat that happens. I, I, it's so funny to pitch it now because it's like, well, it was happening annually until 2020. We were actually in the redwoods in March, 2020. I was there with, with, Ten writers and a guest agent and an author, uh, author in residence, and all of a sudden the NBA shut down. And I thought, oh gosh, here I am responsible for all of these people, and we are we have to get out of here um, safely. And um, thankfully, we did. There were no COVID positive cases from anyone at the retreat at that point, but it was uh, very challenging, and it made me extremely trigger shy to start to do anything in person again. But I am looking at 2023. So let's backtrack and talk about what the retreat actually is. So it's a juried retreat. And it was taking place in the Santa Cruz mountains, but it's going to be taking place in Carmel Valley, California, which is right near my home here in Pacific Grove. Uh, We had to change venues due to COVID and due to the retreat center where we were holding it is not able to accommodate us anymore, which is really unfortunate, because it was a special place, but I'm, I'm looking forward to holding it out in Carmel Valley. And it's a juried retreat. So I take tons and tons of submissions. And I read so much to try to find the quality of writer, and the writer that's really in the place in their career where they're looking to connect with other writers. And they're really serious about their work, and they want to improve. So I'm actually going to be able to take on 18 writers going forward, and I'll have two guest agents and one author in residence. So the author in residence, in the past, I've had Stephanie Dandler, who wrote Sweet Bitter and Stray. I've had a Rufy Thorpe, who wrote The Girls from Corona Del Mar, and then her most recent was The Knockout Queen. I've had Asia Gable, who wrote The Ensemble. Karen Joy Fowler, who wrote We Are All Completely Beside Ourselves, and many other books, including Booth, which just published. Right. I've also had Jasmine Guillory. She was the poor author in residence who was with us in 2020. <laughs> anyway, I don't need to keep name and names here, but I've had some incredible, incredible writers come to the retreat to share their knowledge. So the author in residence is there to talk about their publishing journey because it's all so individual, right? I mean, you've we've heard how I came into it. Each writer has a different story and each each author has a different story. So, the author in residence is there to just be an inspiration and to be a sounding board. And so, they talk about their publishing journey on the first day and then on subsequent days we have lectures from the guest agents sort of about what they're interested in and then what agenting looks like, how it works, um, how to attract an agent's attention, all that kind of thing. And then I'll talk about editing both from the developmental edit standpoint, uh, which is what I do now, compared to what an editor does at a publishing house. So I speak to both of those things. So you really get this trifecta of information from published author, agent and editor. And it's a place where we are just extremely honest about the industry and about how things work. It's four nights and five days. We offer workshopping as well, so author or writers will workshop with one of the guest agents and four or five other writers. So they get a lot of feedback on their work. And I, I run one of those workshops as well. And the author in residence is really there as like I said, aspirational, but also they're there to work on their work. Um, what's so fascinating is Karen Joy Fowler was at the retreat in 20. Oh my gosh, 2017 or 2018. And she was working on Booth at that time. She was talking about this John Wilkes Booth novel that she was working on and she was in the muddy middle of it. And she was really honest about her process. And now here it is, this beautifully published book. Uh, Stephanie Dandler was working on what she was thinking might be a memoir, and that did turn into a memoir, which is stray. So it's really cool to see these authors and residents actually use that time to work on something that they're then going to bring out into the world.
1: Well, in talking about it as they're working on it, and then you can see what it actually looks like when it comes out in the real world. Exactly. Exactly. So a juried retreat means that you get all sorts of applications and then you select? That's exactly right. Okay. Sorry. No, it's okay. I just wasn't used to that term. And the first time you said it, I was thinking, what is that? But then the second time I pretty much got the idea, but I thought I would just ask the question since people are listening to make sure they understood that part of it. Yeah, absolutely. You got, you got it completely right. And then the other question is, are these generally people that you're not already working with?
0: Yeah, I, I'm trying to think now we have a lot of alums who want to come back because at this point there've been over a hundred people have attended, but the people that come are people that I've never met before. So yeah, they're, they're friends of people that have come in the past, but in general, I mean, for me, it really is their cover letter and their work. And that is exactly what an agent is looking at as well, right? Their query letter and their work. So again, like, like with my own, like with my own business, I ask for the first 20 pages. So they're giving a cover letter and 20 pages in that cover letter. I just say, just be honest. Why do you want to be here? Why do you want to come? And the amount of passion and honesty that is on those pages makes it very clear to me who's going to be a really good fit to join the group.
1: And I'm sure it's wonderful for them because it's a lot of connections. It's the agent and the author in residence and you, but also other people that are writing so that they have someone they can reach out to with questions, compare what their journeys are like, those kinds of things.
0: Absolutely. I mean, it's really amazing. We have a writer, her name's Colleen McKeegan, and she's writing, she's written a book called The Wild One. It's coming out from Harper in June. And she was working on that book at the retreat. She was one of our writers at the retreat. And, you know, the retreat's thanked and the acknowledgements as well as multiple people who were at the retreat that read multiple drafts of her book. So it's just this, I mean, and that's one example. I have several other writers that have gone to the retreat and then published, which is exactly what I want. And that's why I'm really looking for a specific quality of writer that really is ready to make that next step and is is willing to put in the effort to get them where they're, get the book where it needs to be to be able to get published, which is just so exciting to see it happen.
1: Absolutely. That's very exciting. Well, before we wrap up, I would love to hear what you have read for fun recently that you really liked.
0: Absolutely. This is such a loaded question, I'm sure for everyone that's ever come on, because when you are, You know, and you've had so many amazing guests. So when you're an author or when you're someone in publishing, you're like constantly reading. And for me, okay, I, I, it was really hard to do this. Um, but I have two nonfiction and two fiction. Okay. So my nonfiction is the first one I want to recommend is In Love, a memoir of love and loss by Amy Bloom. I don't know if you've read this, but it was devastating and so good. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I haven't read it but I've seen it all over the place it just sounds really sad
0: it is sad and you know my um this is the uh, it's a memoir and the author wrote it about basically her husband's uh, assisted suicide at dignitas which is in Switzerland and he encouraged her to write the book because he was like people need to know he had Alzheimer's and he was like I don't want to live with this and so he made a really bold decision to end his own life. And this is that story. I had um, my grandmother had Alzheimer's, my other grandmother had dementia. So this was I was like, this is a gut punch. What am I doing picking this up? But it was just beautifully written. And, you know, fair warning. It's not (laughs) it's a tearjerker. But it was I I thoroughly enjoyed it.
1: My dad has Alzheimer's, and Uh we're in the thick of all that. Okay, Don't read it. I was like, I don't think it's a book I can read. But I've definitely heard nothing but very good things about it.
0: Yeah, this is not for you right now. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. That is not it's not a journey I want anyone to have to go on.
1: I completely agree with that. It's a terrible disease. Mm -hmm. So what's your next one? (laughs) So my next one
0: is one that I think you would really love if you haven't read it already, which is called The Art of Gathering. How we meet and why it matters by Priya Parker. And what I love about this book, this was originally something that had been recommended to me by a friend who runs a conference. And it's really about how we bring people together mindfully. How do you have a book group in a thoughtful way? How do you create a huge conference in a thoughtful way? How do you create a retreat in a thoughtful way? And she asks so many great questions and really made me think about like, okay, why am I doing the retreat? What is the focus? How do I keep it fresh and interesting every single time? And it's a book that I go back to again and again, and specifically, because it's been really helpful to me with the retreat, but I I found it helpful in hosting my book group as well. So I'd really recommend that one. I I love she's she's just such a great writer. And she also has a wonderful newsletter as well.
1: Okay. That sounds really interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I think you'd like it. For On the fiction front, I have to recommend We Are Not Like Them by Joe Piazza and Christine Pride. Have you read this one?
1: I have. And I interviewed them for the podcast. Ah! So I liked the book a lot and I think they are delightful.
0: Good. Oh my gosh. You have interviewed so many people. I was looking through your back catalog and somehow I missed them. Christine is a friend of mine. Christine is someone who we worked at the crown publishing group together and then I went to SNS and then like a year later she went to SNS but our SNS times didn't overlap so she's just someone that is wonderful and I've been watching her for so long she's such a talent so you know plenty about this book but I just thought it was so extremely thoughtful a friendship between two women one black one white and it's co-written by Joe who's white and Christine who's black and a shooting of a black boy and what the repercussions of everything that happens after that, that police shooting, just extremely timely and very thought provoking. So I loved that
1: one. I agree.
0: And then the last one I rec- I want to recommend on the fiction front is 84 Charing Cross Road by Helen Hanf. I think I'm saying it right. It's H-A-N-F-F. And if you know, please correct me.
1: I don't know. I I know the book, but I don't, I would assume it's Hamp.
0: Yeah. So this was one that was recommended to me by one of the writers who attended my retreat. And it is such a slim little volume. I read it in one day. And it's a collection of letters between an American writer and a British bookseller. And it's taking place at a time where in like, it starts in 1949. And there's still rations in England and this writer is trying to get books that she can't find in the US and in the condition that she wants them in and she befriends this bookseller and uh this bookstore all of the employees within it and they send books back and forth or she they send her books she sends them money it's so charming and i just was totally taken by this um i thought it was wonderful
1: this is so embarrassing because I am a huge lover of epistolary novels. Like I have pretty much read any one that I can find, and I have never read that book. And I really need to immediately <laughs> because so many of them, I think, got the idea from that book. You know, it's kind of yes. the the beginning of that idea of writing in letters. And I mean, I I love Love and Saffron by Kim Faye, which came out this year. I love, you know, all these different books that are set in these unique formats. I mean, just so many books written like that. So I really do need to go back and pick that one up.
0: It's really special when it's done right. I mean, I'm thinking like the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society was like the first one that I read like that, where I was like, oh my gosh, you can write like this and it's yeah. good. You know, it's um, And you, you've got to read this one. I really, I just highly recommend it. And, and what I love also in this moment of, you know, moment of, I guess, short attention span. It's a very brief read, but just absolutely fabulous. I love it.
1: Those all sound wonderful. And I definitely need to get to 84 Charing Cross because as I said, I love that type of format to read. And it sounds like it's a very quick read, which sometimes is so nice these days. True. The other thing I meant to do was to give Alka Joshi a big shout out because she connected us. So I so appreciate that because it's been wonderful, all the connections authors have, helping me find different people that I can speak to.
0: Oh, that's so nice of you. She is the best. Um, she's many things. She's also my neighbor. We share a fence, and she has a plum tree that overhangs, and it's the fruit is ripening right now. So we love Alka for many reasons, but being a great neighbor and a great author are two of those reasons.
1: I love that. I didn't even realize she was your neighbor. Mm-hmm. Well, Heather, thank you so much for joining me today in the Thoughts from a Page podcast. This has been fascinating. I have learned so much, and I know everyone else will too.
0: Likewise, Cindy. I'm so grateful that you included me. You've had so many amazing people on, and I I feel honored to be included. Thank you for your time. I'm Alison Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty Podcast.
1: If you liked this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts from a Page. Consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content and support the podcast. Tell all of your friends about the show and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. I hope you'll tune in next time.